All right, so Acts chapter 16, when we last left off, um, Paul and his buddy Barnabas, they were missionary journey number one, partners going all over, um, planting churches and, and causing, causing a ruckus in the world, so to speak. Um, you get to the end of chapter 15, and there's a split that happens between Paul and Barnabas, okay? Uh, Barnabas wants to take uh, John Mark with them. John Mark was with them on the first journey, but he kind of chickened out, is what we'd say, right? He, he, he bailed right when it was getting started. It got too hard for him, so he took off. Um, but now Barnabas is like, no, I think he's ready, so let's, let's take him along with us on this journey. And Paul's like, I don't think so. He's like, you know what it was like the first time. Paul was the one who was nearly stoned to death, okay? So Paul understands just how, how dangerous it was going to be and the last thing he needed was somebody who was unreliable on the mission, okay? So Paul's like, absolutely not. So who's right, who's wrong? Well, who, it doesn't matter, okay? So Paul went his way, and Barnabas went his way with John Mark, and the word still got out, okay? The, the word still went forth, and whether it was to the island of, you know, or Cyprus there, or if it was with Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy, as we're going to see, the word is still going out. Okay, and still going out, and uh, you know there was no real love loss in it to a certain to a certain degree. And, and later on in Paul's life, he welcomes Mark and says he's he's absolutely beneficial to me. So that's that even that's an encouragement for maybe like you, maybe you flaked out on the Lord, maybe you're like you bailed on Him when it got tough. Well, good news is that well, there's always a chance to come back. There's always a chance to come back because I can tell you this. Um, there may be, you know, some Apostle Pauls in your life who are like, I don't think so, <laughs> right? You know, and we've all had that experience. Um, I've probably communicated that to some people who've bailed on me. Um, I probably have had that communicated to me by rebelling on some people. But I could tell you this, the Lord Jesus never responds that way to us. He's just patiently waiting. Like, yeah, I know you're not strong enough. I know you're not tough enough. I know you can't handle it, but I'll wait on you. I'll keep waiting on you. If you just follow me, if you just take my yoke upon you, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Um, so the Lord is always good about that. So I want to encourage you guys just right up, right up front that um, if you feel like, man, I, I feel like I'm a, you know, maybe I'm not a Barnabas in that story. Maybe I'm not a Paul. Maybe I'm a John Mark. Like I just chickened out. Like I just couldn't cut it. Well, the Lord's not done with you. The Lord's not done with you. Okay? So you can always, you can always come back. You can always be effective um, the Lord's never done with you, all right? Chapter 16, this is the start of the second missionary journey, and there, there'll be a third one right after this, and, and there's not really a whole lot of um, gap in between those two, but this is where we pick up. So Paul, he's got to get a new team, and, and he, he, it, it tells us, you know, at the end of chapter, after the end of chapter 15, that he grabs Silas, but there's still one guy short. So look at verse 1, chapter 16. I'm going to read from New King James. Um, ESV is what that one is. So uh, they're pretty similar. It says, Then he came back to Derby and to uh, Lystra, that's Paul, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, she was a believer, but his father was Greek. So you got a Jewish lady and a Gentile guy. They get married and they have a baby. His name is Timothy, all right? So here's Timothy, and, and Paul would speak, to, you know, concerning the faith of Timothy's mom and also Timothy's grandmother. They, 
They were believers, and they were very influential in the life of Timothy. So again, for you moms, for you grandmas, thank you so much for loving your kids and pointing them to Jesus, because that makes a difference. It matters. And it especially, it especially matters for an Apostle Paul who needs to take somebody along on a, on a mission trip. It really helps him out to have somebody he can count on, and that's Timothy. So his dad's Greek says he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted to have him go with him. Okay, so there's, there's a thought there that maybe Timothy heard Paul preach when he first went through this region, and that's when he got saved. Nobody knows. I'm going to tell you that right now. Nobody knows. There's a really good chance that he just got saved in his house because mom and grandma kept witnessing Jesus to him. I tend to go more in that direction. And then when the apostle Paul came through, Timothy's like, I want to be like that dude. Like, this guy's nuts. This guy's crazy. This dude's on fire for Jesus. I want to be like that guy. However he got saved doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is this guy got saved. Okay? He got saved. And he's well spoken of. All the people within his community are like, man, Timothy's awesome. Timothy's a great kid. You should take Timothy with you. But Timothy's got a problem. It's not really a problem, but Paul's going to, he wants to address this, so to speak. Says Paul wanted him to go. Paul wanted him to go with him. He took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek, and were like, "Well, hold on. We just went through the book of Galatians, where Paul emphatically said, "You don't have to be circumcised." So what's the deal with this contradiction? It's not a contradiction. It's not. Paul's dealing with Timothy. Timothy's a Jew. His, I know his dad's Gentile, but his mom is Jew, and everybody knows, everybody who knows Timothy and his family, they know Timothy is a Jewish kid. Paul knew that this would be a hindrance in their mission. He knew it would be a hindrance in their mission. And he did not force Timothy to get circumcised, but he probably strongly suggested to Timothy, like, look, dude, everybody knows your story. They all know your story. So in order for us to be as effective as we possibly can, I'm going to suggest to you that you get circumcised. Timothy is a grown man at this point in time. You know, to a certain extent, it's like, <laughs> maybe I need to rethink my calling in life. Um, no. Why? Because what matters the most? The gospel. The gospel. And the apostle Paul was willing to become all things to all men so that some might get saved. Timothy was willing to become all things to all men so that some might get saved. This is not a law thing. This is not a, they're, you know, trying to uphold the law or anything like that. This is Paul saying, look, Timothy, everybody knows you're a Jewish kid. You need to get circumcised. You need to get circumcised or it will stand in your way. It will be a hindrance. And Timothy went for it. People come to this, and and this causes drama. What I want you to understand, or what you want you to see, is that nowhere within there do you see Timothy complaining. Not at all. Timothy says, okay, so this would keep me from having an audience to tell people about the gospel? Let's handle it. Let's handle it. To the Jews, I become a Jew. To the Gentiles, I've become a Gentile. You know, I mean, it, it's, that, it's that mindset, that philosophy of like, listen, I'm, I, whatever it takes, I mean, get circumcised, get circumcised. Now, you'll know from Galatians chapter 2 concerning Titus, 
Titus was a Gentile. And that's why Paul said, I'm not making Titus get circumcised. He's a Gentile. The people who were wanting Titus to get circumcised, it was all because they were tacking circumcision onto salvation, saying he can't be truly saved unless he's circumcised because he's a Gentile. And Paul says that's not true. Note, Timothy is a disciple, a believer, and he's not circumcised when it calls them that. Okay? So circumcision does not matter. It doesn't matter. The only circumcision that matters, and we've said this repeatedly, is that of your heart. Is that of your heart. So there's no contradiction here. Once you understand, like, Timothy's a Jewish kid, he needed to be circumcised. It was going to prevent him from having an audience, prevent him to going into certain places and all that. Titus, who's a Gentile, did not need to be circumcised. He didn't need to be circumcised. They were trying to put that on him of like, well, you're not saved until you do so. Timothy was just, it was going to be an issue. And so Paul brought that up and Paul took Timothy and he got him circumcised. And the journey goes on and the journey goes on, right? It may have, you know, they may have to take a break for a couple of days, which is understandable, right? Get Timothy, let him rest and recover. And then you got to get back onto the mission. Verse four, and as they went through the, the, the area, the, um, the cities there, uh, the, this whole region. And we'll, we'll, we'll you know, tell, tell you all the names and stuff like that. But they're, they're going back through visiting the churches. So they're visiting different cities. It says they delivered to them the decrees to keep. Well, what decrees were there? Well, Acts chapter 15. Remember the whole council got together and said, do people need to get circumcised in order to be saved? And the whole, what they, the conclusion they came to was, no, you don't have to be circumcised. What then what, how does somebody get saved? Jesus. Surrender to Jesus. That's it. That's it. Now, there were some things that the Gentiles needed to start practicing, to stop practicing and start practicing a new way. Basically, holiness. Stop meat, eating meat sacrificed to idols. Stop, you know, with messing with the blood and all that good stuff, the sexual immorality. Stop all that stuff. It's time for separation, distinction, holiness. You have to live this way now. That's the decrees. And, and so Paul and Silas and Timothy are going around to each church saying, hey, here's good news. Here's this letter. All the leaders of the church, not that it really mattered to a certain extent because all the churches are t- autonomous, basically. It's not like Peter is the pastor over all the churches because he's not. And it's not like James, who is like the main guy in Jerusalem, it wasn't, he's not the pastor of all the churches because he's not. He was the pastor of whatever church God had placed him. If Peter was a pastor of any church, it was only where God had placed him. It does not mean that he gets to rule this whole thing called Christianity. He's not the first pope. There's no biblical precedence for that. There's not one guy who oversees all stuff. That's not how it works, okay? I hope you understand that. The body of Christ, there's lots of different churches and all that good stuff, and the Lord appoints individuals, um, whether it's a pastor for sure, uh, to shepherd that flock, and then also a team of leaders or elders, as we call them, to help with the spiritual direction of those churches. Those are, they're all autonomous. We're Calvary Chapel Galveston. I don't answer to Ron Hint, okay? I don't answer, Chuck Smith is gone. He's, he passed away. I don't answer, if he was around, I don't answer to Chuck Smith. We're Calvary Chapel Galveston. Now, we're part of that family, 
But the Lord is expecting James Grizzle to shepherd the flock that he's entrusted to him. He's the only one I care about in that sense. Now, I'm accountable to Ron Hint. I'm accountable to Bill Gim, my sending pastor. I'm accountable to those guys. I place myself under their accountability for sure because hopefully if I've learned anything, I want to be a smart man, okay? I want to have some accountability within my life. But when it comes down to it, when I stand before the Lord, he's not going to be like, okay, hold on, let me pull Ron Hinn in here real quick. Let me pull Chuck. Chuck, where are you at? Chuck, come over here. This guy was a pastor of, of your churches, of one of your churches. It's not Chuck Smith's church. Calvary Chapel, Galveston, it's not. It's not, it's not even James Grizzle's church. This belongs to Jesus. And I will account for what I did with it while he had me here, right? So there's no like, I know that there's sometimes this notion that like, well, you know, guys got together in Jerusalem to try to work through this issue and how are we going to address this? That's smart. That's intelligent. That's what you want. When there's an issue within our, within the church world, what you want is believers to be able to come together and say, okay, let's, let's, let's intelligently think through this. Let's prayerfully think through these things. How do we answer some of these complications? You want to handle it that way. Because the last thing you want, too, is if there's an issue within the church, well, it just really comes down to one guy. And what, what does that one guy say? No, we don't, we don't really want that either. We want, a, there's wisdom in a, in a multitude of counselors, okay? So the leaders got together, prayerfully considered the circumcision issue and all that good stuff, and they and again, they were praying through this, and they were keeping in tune with the, what the Word has already said, and they came up with this letter that says, this is what we need to spread to all the churches concerning circumcision. It's not necessary. This was the good news that they were spreading around the churches, and so as they're going from city to city, they get to share this, this good news with these guys, saying, hey, look, um, there is one way. There is one way to heaven. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And you can come as you are. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you've done, you know. It doesn't matter what percentage of your life was lived as an enemy of his. None of that matters. What matters is surrender to Jesus, period. It's as simple as that. It's as beautiful as that. Or does that mean some wild, crazy murderer can, in the Latin, his deathbed, surrender his life to Jesus and go to heaven? Yeah? You got a problem with that? Because this murderer surrendered to Jesus. I just happened to do it at 19. You're a murderer. Yeah, if you hate somebody in your heart, you're a murderer. That's what Jesus said. Guilty. I was guilty of that. And, and a whole list of other things. So what? I got saved when I was 19. So what if somebody gets saved on their deathbed? It's not your business. That's between them and Jesus. Now, we have a hard time rationalizing that. We have a really difficult time trying to figure out, well, how does that work? Your job, your business, is to be about the gospel. Your job is to be about communicating this beautiful gospel message to anybody and everybody and letting them know you are not disqualified. You are not disqualified. If anybody dies apart from that, it was their own doing. It's their own choosing. That's what it comes down to. But you've got this beautiful gospel message that, that's going out and... Part of that is it's just this freedom that, like, man, it's just, it's just 
Jesus, he is more than enough. He is more than enough. And he loves you, and he cares about you, and he died for you, and he rose from the grave from you. They got to go around to the different regions sharing again. They had already shared the gospel there, but they got to back that up with everybody's on board with this. It's not Jesus plus this. That's nonsense. It's just Jesus. It's good news. It's good news. So they're going around the cities. They're, they're delivering these decrees to these guys. This is... Um, which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. That's chapter 15. So the churches, here's, here's the result. The churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Well, what's, that seems like the best way to grow a church. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Um, there's a, listen, and you guys know, I mean, I'm, you know, submerged in this church world thing, um, just because of my position, but there is no shortage of books telling me how to grow a really big church. And I've read some of them. And there's a lot of smart strategies that are out there. They're really good. Um, some of them are written by pastors. Some of them are written by business people. Okay. But there's a lot of information. I was just reading an article this morning before I showed up today telling me how to grow a really big church, even in the midst of a pandemic. I'm like, really? That's cool. Now, I don't, the guy that wrote the article is a brother. I love this guy. He's a tremendous guy. And I get where he's coming from and all that stuff. Not all those are bad things. Hear me out. They're not all bad, right? They're not. Um, but you can't, I don't want a church that's super big because we created some cool programs. I'm not interested in that. I'm not, I don't want a church that's packed out because we somehow figured out how to like advertise just right in order to get a bunch of people in here. Now, I'm not, a I'm not opposed to a bunch of people coming in here because they're going to hear what you've been hearing for the past four or five years, the Word of God. But I'm not interested in trying to create some sort of thing of like, let's just get them in, let's get them in, let's build up this thing. I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is communicating the gospel and that not just myself, but us as a congregation are on mission for Jesus and you within your community and your, your little sphere of influence, whether that's at your workplace or your neighborhood, you're just sharing Jesus with people and it, they're getting saved. And if they come here, sweet. If they don't come here, cool. Hopefully they get plugged in somewhere else because there's still a lot of cool churches around. Even in Galveston, there's a lot of sweet churches in Galveston that are all, they're all about Jesus. They don't all have to come here. In fact, I don't want them all to come here. But the ones who the Lord does bring here, I just want us to be on mission. Just want us to be on mission. What you see modeled in the book of Acts is really what we want to see happening here in Galveston and the surrounding regions. That's all we want. Not so that Calvary Galveston it like becomes the next big thing. We don't want to be the next big thing. We want Jesus to remain the biggest thing. Because it's not about us. It's not. These guys are going around. They're just encouraging them. They're sharing the gospel, and they're encouraging them by way of the unity that they have as, a, as the church. They came together to, you know, to clarify some of this stuff, and, and there's encouragement that's there. And people are receiving the word, and the churches are growing. They're growing. It says they're increasing in number daily. 
But not just, not just numerically, but they're growing spiritually. It says that they're being strengthened in the faith. That's another way of saying they're, they're spiritually healthy. They're spiritually healthy. And that healthy, that's what you want. As a church, that's numero uno, spiritually healthy church. Because spiritually healthy churches should be growing numerically. That's the other thing. We don't want to remain small, okay? You might be one of those people who are like, I want the church to stay small. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you because that's not biblical. That's not biblical either. You want the church to grow. You want it to grow spiritually, yes, but you also want it to grow numerically. You want that to happen too. And when it grows to a certain point, then it's, time, then it's like, okay, well, we need to rethink this. It's time for half of us to go somewhere else and start another church. Because Calvary Galveston doesn't have to be, it's, we're not the answer. We're part of the answer, but we're not the answer, right? And this beautiful Texas coastline is in need of a lot of other good, healthy churches. So we don't want to stay small. And I know sometimes that's the thing. It's like, we, I want to stay small because in a small church, I know everybody and all that stuff. That's not always a good thing, okay? That's not always a good thing. But you want it to grow. You want it to grow, and then you want home fellowships to be a part of what you're doing. You want other church plants to be a part of what you're doing because the Lord is blessing and the Lord is adding to the body. That's always been our kind of mindset. It's always been our mindset. If that's what the Lord has for us, then sweet, that's cool. If that's not what he has for us, sweet, that's cool. Because guess what? It's not mine. It's his. It's his, right? So let God do with Calvary Galveston whatever he wants to do. We pray, and you can pray for me, that I'm just smart enough to hear his voice and to trust him and to submit to him. That's how you can be praying for me. Because I need that. Because I'm a stubborn guy. I'm super hard-headed. I don't know if you know that. If you spend any time talking to my wife, she'll probably let you know that. I'm very determined. I'm very stubborn. I don't give up. I quit. I don't even know what that word means, right? Quit. I don't know what that means. And that's a problem. And we'll see that Paul, the Apostle Paul is, is kind of like that. He's kind of like that. Look what happens to these guys. So the church is strengthening. They're, they're growing in their faith. They're increasing in numbers. Verse 6. Now, when they've gone through uh, Phrygia, if that's how you say that, I have no idea, and the region of Galatia, so we know that place because we, we just went through the, the letter that was written to the churches in that region. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to, to what? To preach the word in Asia. Well, that just doesn't sound right. Why would God prevent his word from being preached? Well, because he's God and he knows a whole lot more than we do. That's why. Now, I don't know. I'm sorry if that answer is not good enough for you. I'll try to clarify that in, in a little bit here. But what we need to understand is Paul and, the, and his missionary team, they're, they're on mission. They're going for it. Good things are happening. And they, they're going like kind of northeast, right? They're going to press on into Asia, right? The gospel for Asia, like, boom, here we go. We're going to go into this region. And they're moving through the, you know, the little areas. They go through Galatia. This is where they believe that Paul got the sickness, okay? His, he had some sort of eye thing going on. They believe that this is kind of when this happened. 
in that region of Galatia, and he even mentions it, you know, in Galatia, you know, he, he kind of references it to a certain extent, but this is where they believe this, where he got sick. What's fascinating about that is they're looking to go this way. They are knocking on this door. And God says, no. And they're determined. Paul, the Apostle Paul is probably the most determined, one of the most determined individuals to have ever lived. And he's probably banging on that door like, God, we're taking your gospel into this region. And God's like, no, you're not. No. How did he tell them? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Well, if there's anything we want to know today, it's how did that play out? And I can tell you with confidence, I have no idea. I have no clue. I don't know. Was it like a feeling inside of Paul? Maybe. Was it the fact that he got sick and, the God, and God used the sickness to communicate him that, no, you're not going there? Maybe. Does God use sickness in our life? Yeah, absolutely. Does that mean every time you, every time you get sick, that's God trying to tell you something? No, no, it's not. But I know in my life, Remember, I'm that stubborn guy who will shovel a, a driveway with 102 fever because it just snowed and I got to shovel my driveway because my wife needs to leave and, and my wife thinks I'm absolutely insane. She's like, you have a fever. Why are you out there? Because it has to be done. It's got to be done. And no, I can't expect, I'm not going to make her do it. That'd be crazy. And my kids weren't old enough. So I got to get out there and do it. And my beautiful wife who's so loving and compassionate and firm when she needs to be firm is like, you're nuts. I think God is telling you, you maybe need to rest. Maybe, why don't you go lay down? Why don't you give your body what it needs? Some little R&R. My wife is always trying to tell me that. She's communicating that to me all the time. Like, I, maybe the Lord's just trying to tell you to slow down. It's taken me many years. I think I'm starting to kind of figure that thing out now. Um, sometimes the Lord can use things like that in order to get you to slow down. To slow down, to slow down. Maybe he can tweak out your low immune system for a moment to get you to slow down. Maybe to get your attention. Because we will really cry out to God when something's going wrong inside of us. I mean, that's like, that's my, that's my hot button, right? Like anything's happening inside of me, I'm like, God, what's wrong? Why, where are you? Where are you, God? And he's like, dude, would you just chill out? Just rest. What is wrong with you? You're so busy doing all this stuff. I'll get you to sit at my feet. It might mean a little fever in your body to get you to sit at my feet. He does that sometimes. That's not all the time, okay? That's not all. I don't want you to think like next time you get a little sniffle. They're like, oh, God. Oh no, God, what are you trying to tell me? He's like, uh, I don't know, allergies? <laughs> like, uh, you live in a fallen world? Like, your body can't handle some certain allergies. I don't know. It's not a big deal. Um, take your medicine. Go about your business. That could have been what it was for Paul, but we don't know. They were just forbidden by the Holy Spirit. And I, I, this should be the most freeing thing for us, especially if you're a perfectionist and you're looking to get it right every single time, which is a prison, which is torture. Here's Paul on mission, tries to go into this region, and the Holy Spirit slams the door in his face and says, I don't think so. Nope. And you're like, Wait, I'm doing a good thing. Like, this doesn't make sense. Like, they need the gospel. 
God, they need the gospel. And he's like, you're telling me they need the gospel? I know they need the gospel. They just don't need it from you right now. They don't, see, your plan is not as important as his plan. Because you lack so much critical information concerning the big picture. We would really do well if we took a step back and said, Lord, I trust you. I think I'm just going to trust you on this one. I've been trying. I've been praying. Lord, I know you, I got this desire, this burden on my heart. I've been praying for this, and nothing is happening. Maybe sometimes the Lord's like, yeah, because I don't want it to happen right now. Or maybe I do want it to happen, but I just don't want to use you to do it. And we're like, oh, offended, right? Like, you don't want to use me? Yeah, I don't want to use you. I'd rather use somebody else if that's okay with you. Remember, I'm God, and I can do what I want, and I will use who I want. Sometimes you're equipped and suited to handle these situations, and this person over here, who is just as gifted and full of the Holy Spirit as you are, even though you may not recognize it, but they are, and God's like, yeah, I have planned to use them over there the whole time. What we need to do is, is just come to this, this mission that God has called us on, which is complete submissiveness and saying, Lord, I don't know where it is you want me to go. I'm not sure where it is, you know, or what that even looks like. But I'm just going to ask that you illuminate just each step along the journey. We want the whole path lit up. That's not how it works sometimes. Some of you, you may have that. You may have con- you know, absolute clarity of like, no, this is what God has, he's put me on this path, and man, I can see the finish line. Awesome. Awesome. I think for most of us, we're just waiting on that next step to be illuminated. Like, Lord, I don't, I don't want to take a step yet because I want to make sure I take the right step. And he'll, he'll direct you, he'll guide and, guide and direct each and every step. It, it, the Lord's not, he's not, you know, keeping, he doesn't close doors because he's mean or doesn't care about you. He actually closes doors because he does care about you. He's going to move Paul in a certain direction because, see, Paul's mission was to go here, but God's mission was for Paul to go here. You may experience that within your life. I have, certainly. I was when I was working at the church in Amarillo as a youth pastor, you know, after, after a certain amount of time, you're kind of like, I think my time's running out as a youth pastor, right? Like, I mean, I'm 15 years into this deal, you know, basically. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that window is closing on me and, you know, not for any other reason other than I just don't think this is what the Lord has. So, Lord, where do you want me to go next? Well, what you don't do is just sit around on your behind just waiting for him to, like, pick you up and move you. It does take you approaching doors and knocking on doors, okay? There has to be some sort of active activity within your life of just like, you got to be in motion. You have to be moving. You have to be. Now, you might hit the wrong door. That's okay. It's not like one strike and you're out. It's not even three strikes and you're out. With the Lord, it's like, go to this door. Knock on that door. If that door doesn't open, okay, guess what? Don't quit, move on to another door. So for us, it was like, okay, well, what do we do? We'll start a college Bible study in the, the little bitty town that had a Division II university where I was at because that made sense and we had college kids that were asking for it. So we started a college Bible study. 
with the thought of like, well, this, maybe this thing will turn into a church and we'll just plant a church right here. We did the college Bible study. It was cool. It was sweet. But the Lord's like, this isn't what I have for you. I mean, it's good. You're, you're doing all this stuff, but this is, not, this is not it for you. Okay, then Lord, well, then what is? Well, just keep, just keep knocking. Go to another door. And so there's just different, you know, and you, you just, you just got to keep going. You just have to keep knocking because had we, my family and I, stopped knocking, well, we'd be in misery right now. Maybe still employed at Grace Church up in Amarillo, but how effective can you be when you know that the Lord has called you on to something else, but yet you weren't willing to knock on any doors to figure out maybe where that was at? So I could have easily settled back in. I had a nice job. I mean, I had salary there. I had health care was taken care of for me and my kids. And I mean, it was good. Um, it was really good. And I have no complaints there at all. None at all. But if that's not where the Lord wants me, ultimately, there's going to be frustration. It's going to lead to misery. And then it's, gonna, it's just going to lead to you know, ineffectiveness within the ministry. So you have to keep knocking on the doors. And so that's my encouragement to all, to all of us because you may be frustrated right now. You're like, man, I've been banging on this door for years. Move on to another door. My goodness. If your knuckles are bleeding because you keep knocking on the same door, maybe you need to take a step back and say like, what other doors are there? Because it may not be for you. That might not be for you. And the Lord's over here at door number three thinking like, hey, you, you, you want this one? Are you, no, quit knocking on that door. Get over here. And sometimes it takes a door number two before you get to door number three. And that's, that's, where, that's where this missionary team is at. They were knocking on the door and the Holy Spirit straight up told them, no, no. Okay, so we move on. You didn't get it right the first time. Cool, it's okay. It's okay. That's the other thing. I've, I've taught this before, and, and I remember listening to, I actually remember listening to a teaching done by Britt Merrick on this, and, and man, that, that word I heard from him was just so freeing for me um, because as a perfectionist, it really is a, you know, I'm trying to hit a pinpoint on a, on a target, you know, in the will of God kind of thing. That's how I've lived my life, most of my Christian life. I'm aiming for one microscopic pinpoint. Like, that's the will of God. I got to hit that thing perfectly. And if I don't, I've messed up. I've blown it, you know, and I don't even know how effective I am for God. I cer he certainly doesn't want to use me because I can't even get this thing right. And, you know, through this teaching, the Lord really spoke to my heart about this. And Britt Merrick was used by God to communicate that to me of like, he's like, us in the church world, we, we have this notion that like, let's say the crab trees go out to Africa. Let's say within a year they come back from Africa because it didn't work out. Do we as a church body ridicule them because it didn't work out? Because maybe they got it wrong? No. What do you do? You come alongside them and say, okay, so maybe that wasn't it. I'm using them as an example. They're certain Africa's the deal for them. I'm certain of that as well. But we sometimes do that where people will go out and they're like, man, I feel like the Lord's calling me to go do this thing. And then they go out and they come back and they have failed miserably. Well, we don't cast them off to the side thinking like, well, they can't even hear the Lord. So we're definitely not going to trust these guys when the next time comes around. No, it's like we come around them saying like, okay, so that wasn't it. Door one was closed. Well, what's door number two? Let's knock on that one. Let's just keep going. 
Let's just keep going. And let's encourage each other to keep on going so that, that way we're not walking around as, with this defeated mentality of like, so what? You got it wrong. So what? Life still goes on. The mission is still going. Find the right door. Find the right door. Here's where they're at. They're, the Holy Spirit says, nope, not going to Asia. All right. So after they come to Mycia, they try to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So you go door number one. No. Okay, cool. Well, then let's just kind of work our way. We're not really going to go too much away from that. We still want to get into Asia, but we'll just go over here a little bit. And so that's what they did. They went over to here just a little bit, and they knocked on that door, and the, and the Spirit says, no, no. Okay, rather than getting discouraged, they just keep on going. They just keep on going. So it says, passing by Mycia, or however you say that one. Um, I'm really great at Bible places and names. Uh, as you have picked up throughout the years and maybe listening to me, you're like, this guy can't pronounce anything. I cannot. I cannot. Um, yeah, but I, I do my best. But, you know, Mycia, that's how I think it's pronounced, and I'm going to go with it. So they, it says they came down from Troas. It says, and a vision. All right, so let me just geographically, I want to, this, this is important, okay? So um, Troas is a coastal city. Like now you are like, there's nowhere for you to go. It's almost as if God was moving them from here to here to here, where there's like no other direction for you to go. Because you know everything on this side is, is a no. And there's really only one other place. And it's going this way. So it's almost as if God was pushing them into like, a, not really a corner, but kind of like, he's like, no, I need, I'm going to get you where I need you to be. Because there is a place where I do want you to go, but I'm going to work you down to, to Troas, basically. I'm going to work you to the coast so that I can have you perfectly situated for the next step. And it's the coast. Who doesn't mind being on the coast? I mean, come on, like, any coast. I'll take any coast. Like, it's water, right? Like, take that. if I'm getting it wrong, sweet. You end up on the coast, it's like, well, <laughs> we might as well enjoy this, right? So... That's where they were at. And a vision, verse 9, appeared to Paul in the night. So was this a dream? Was it a vision? What is the deal here? Um, I don't know. It doesn't say he was sleeping. It doesn't say he was sleeping. So this isn't like, you know, Taco Bell too late at night kind of a deal, right? Like, what, what was that? What happened? Um, this is a vision, a clear cut, like Paul is being communicated to by the Lord by way of a vision. The Lord has spoken to the church and guided and directed the church um, in many different ways up until this point in the book of Acts. Sometimes it's through a word. Um, sometimes it's through a vision. Uh, there's various ways that the Lord uh, uses to speak to us. And sometimes it's a dream. Sometimes it is a dream. Um, but the Lord has his own ways of getting a hold of you and getting your attention. For the Apostle Paul on this journey, Here's this vision, and it's at nighttime. That makes it even more spookier, right? Right? You're like, it's the coast, it's nighttime. You're like, and now this vision happens. Put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel, right? Like, how would you? We think of it as like this cool experience and all this stuff. It's like, well, maybe it wasn't all that cool. I don't know, but Paul's like pitch black night, and all of a sudden he sees this tremendous vision. It says a man of Macedonia. That's technically in Europe, okay? 
and they could, they could see that from where they were at. You know, you're just looking over the water, and you can see this region just right over there. A man of Macedonia uh, pleading with him, begging with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. No, no. And then God gets Paul right here, and then it still takes a vision to communicate to Paul where, he, where God wants him to go. Because they're like hemmed in. They're like, uh, where, so where are we going to go next, Paul? And Paul's like, I don't know. We've run out of options. And then God's like, all right. So here's this man in Macedonia. We don't even know if this is a real guy. We never, I don't even know if we ever really know about this guy. Because you'll read Philippians, you'll read the rest of this chapter, and this guy never shows up. But he's like, hey, why don't you come over here? I've been watching you strike out. <laughs> like, uh, we need help. We need the gospel. What about the gospel for Europe? What about coming over here? And sometimes that's what, the, that's what, that's what it takes. So you got no, you got to know, but you keep going. That's how you handle the no's of God is that you keep going. And then you end up with some dude begging and pleading or some representative of some region saying, can you please bring what you have to us? Because we want the good news too. We'd like to know about Jesus. Can you bring it to us? Because we're willing. We're ready. We're begging. Sometimes it takes a vision in the middle of the night to bring clarity. Verse 10, it says, and after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. So the light came on for Paul where he's like, guys, I think I got the answer. <laughs> like, and they're like, Silas and Timothy are like, I don't know about this Paul guy, man. Like he's been, you know, we, we went here and that, that wasn't working out. And then he's got this little eye thing going on. And we went here and that didn't work out. And now we're stuck on the coast. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I got it. We're supposed to go right over there. We're supposed to go into Europe. There's people that are over there that are begging and pleading for the gospel of Jesus. See what happens when you don't give up? You see what happens when you don't quit on Jesus? Clarity comes. I'll promise you this. Clarity comes. It just comes in his timing. Okay? So you can't quit on him. I'm telling you right now, you can't quit on Jesus. You cannot quit on him. Clarity, for whatever that thing is that you've been praying about, I don't know how he's going to answer it. That's my only thing. I don't know how he's going to answer whatever that thing is. But I know this, you cannot quit on him. You cannot. You do not have the right to quit on him. He died for you. You don't have the right to quit on him. You don't. You follow him. And when he says no, you go to the next door and you knock on that door. And when he says no, you go to the next door and you knock on that door. You never stop following Jesus. You never stop praying. You never stop seeking, asking, knocking. You never quit. Welcome to the rest of your life as a Christian. Who told you it was going to be easy? Who lied to you? Who told you it was only knock once, seek once, ask once? Who lied to you? Because that's not what the Bible says. It was Jesus himself to his disciples says, you keep on knocking, 
you keep on asking, you keep on seeking. You remain, what, persistent in your relationship and your walk with Jesus. You don't get to shift into neutral and go into cruise control. You keep pressing on. You keep pressing on. You don't believe me, consult the Apostle Paul. And we will. After next Sunday, we're going to jump into the book of Philippians, where Paul says, you keep pressing on. Philippians was not his first pick. That region and those churches that got planted as a result of this was not his first choice. But he kept pressing on. He never gave up. Did he want to give up? Yes. That's the beauty of the word. You read in, Paul, in many of Paul's letters, and he talks about the despair. He talks about those dark nights. He talks about this thing of like, I don't even know if I want to live anymore. That's a guy who knows what it's like to be a human being on this planet. That's a guy who knows what discouragement feels like. But what does he ultimately say? You run your race. You run your race with endurance, meaning this, you just keep going, keep going. And then you may end up in Philippi, hanging out with a bunch of people that they, they can't even start a church. Like, they can't even start a church. He goes to this place, like, they don't even have enough people to technically even start a synagogue. Now, they have the people, but they don't have the right people, if you know what I'm saying. They don't got like 10 Jewish men. Maybe they do, but those guys don't have their act together, and they're not starting any synagogues. This city is all messed up, and it's perfect for the gospel, absolutely perfect for the gospel. This guy's begging, come over to us, help us out after seeing a vision. Immediately, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding, here's the, the no-duh the, the no duh statement of this whole thing, all right? Concluding, we figured that's the Lord was telling us to go. Yeah, of course he was. You know he was. They like, Paul shares a vision, and they're all like, you know what? I think God might be telling us to go to Macedonia. Paul's like, duh. <laughs> like, yeah. He told us no here, and he told us no here because he wanted us to go here. Sometimes God says no in your life, and there's a reason for it. There's a reason. There's a reason. We got to get really good at just trusting him and say, Lord, I don't know why you're telling me no. I don't see the big picture, but I just got to trust you in this thing. I need to trust you, and it's hard for us. It really is hard for us, but I just need to trust you that you know what's best. And you are working me in a position to get me to where you want me to be. Just so we know that, I mean, they, so they conclude that the Lord had called them to, to do what? To preach the gospel to Philippi. This was not the end point for Paul. Philippi was not the last destination. Thessalonica was not the last destination. This was just another stop along the journey for the Apostle Paul. So sometimes the Lord is, is kind of saying, closing doors here, closing doors there, because he wants you to go here. But sometimes even here is just temporary. The thing we, like I said repeatedly, the thing we need to know is this. You can trust the Lord, let him guide you, let him direct you. When he's not answering you in your prayers, keep on praying. 
not every, not every answer from God is a yes. It's just not. It's not. A, we were talking about that a little bit before. I, I know it, there's some teaching that's out there that every, every prayer is answered in the affirmative. That's not true. That's not true. God doesn't always give you everything that you ask for. He doesn't. And I don't care how much faith you have. I don't care how much faith you have. He doesn't always answer yes. Sometimes the answer is no. The most frustrating thing about all of it is that it seems like most of the time he says, just wait, <laughs> right? You're like, no, I hate that answer. That's no. I don't want that one. Give me a yes or give me a no. And it seems that most of the time in my prayer life, the Lord's like, ah, just hold on a second. Just wait. Like, no, no, I don't function that way, Lord. You know I don't handle that well. And he's like, I know, that's why I probably keep, at, that's why I probably keep answering that way. Because, you know, you need work, you know? So the Lord, the Lord just, he knows us so well. Better than you know yourself, the Lord knows. And he's got you, he's got you on this mission. And so I, I'm encouraging you to just trust him each and every step of the way. Each and every step of the way. Don't stop following him because he tells you no right? You're not a spoiled brat, right? We, Christianity doesn't need any more spoiled brats, okay? If you don't get your own way, suck it up and move on. That's the deal. He says no, deal with it. Move on to the next thing. You want his yes, but you want that to be, you want that to equate to ending up where he wants you when he wants you there for as long as he wants you there. That's what you want. That's the goal. So you keep on pressing, you keep on knocking, you keep on seeking, you keep on asking. He, didn't, he told you to do that, all right? He's, he's not going to get annoyed with you, okay? Don't think that God's like, oh, rolling his eyes in heaven, being like, why don't they quit asking me this question? He said to keep coming to him. So keep going to him until you get that clarity that you need. And then be brave enough, if you get a no, to move on to the next door. Be brave enough. Go for it. So we'll stop there. The next part of it is all in Philippi. And we're going to be looking at, um, man, this, uh, there's, there's three individuals. And you can read ahead. And I encourage you to read ahead. Read your Bible. Look at that. A pastor is encouraging you to read your Bible. I know. What is this world coming to? Um, read ahead, Acts chapter 16. It is one of the most beautiful chapters in the entire Bible. Look at the three individuals who get saved as a result of Paul getting no, no, go. Look at the lives that get affected by, by his perseverance in following Jesus, okay? And I think you'll be encouraged. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap this thing up. So um, hey, listen, we are, uh, we, we're still on uh, Thursday nights, um, little Bible study through the book of Revelation. We will be back in Revelation chapter 7 this coming Thursday. Uh, we're, we're back into that. We're walking through that book. Um, we're going to keep on just pressing on through the word. Um, I invite you, if you're not doing anything Thursday night, come and hang out. Um, it's really kind of a laid back. It's a shorter kind of teaching, but then there's time for like discussion and all that good stuff for us to be able to if you need to ask any questions, because it may not relate to Revelation at all, um, although it seems like anything nowadays does relate to the end of the world, um, but 
If you've got other questions, um, then that's the perfect environment for you to be able to ask. And be like, hey, listen, I don't understand this. Well, we try to create the environment where you have that time where you can kind of discuss, okay? So um, <clears throat> let's pray and, and let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. Uh, man, I thank you for just how awesome you are, Lord. Um, I, there's, there's just no other, there's no other God, Lord, that, that, does, any, that does the things that you do. Lord, it, it's, it's, it's mind-blowing at times. Lord, I know it can be frustrating at times for us, but Lord, you, you, you guide us, you direct us, and sometimes that's through closed doors. And, uh, but Lord, you, you, you never want us to give up. You never want us to stop knocking. You never want us to stop seeking and asking, Lord. And so I pray, and I know that that is in reference to the Holy Spirit, Lord, and I pray that we are persistent within that. The Holy Spirit, you would fill us for sure. But I pray that in our daily lives with you, our, our, our walk with you, Lord, that we're just as persistent and just, just wanting clarity from you, Lord, concerning things, decisions that need to be made within our lives, Lord. For some of us, it's what the next step is or, or where, that might, that, where that may be geographically, Lord. I, I pray that you would, um, you would bring clarity to anybody who's, who's searching that right now. Lord, you know our hearts, you know where we're at, you know the things that we struggle with and the things that we're wrestling over. And so I pray, Lord, that, um, Lord, that we would just keep coming to you. Lord, that we would, we would open up your word, that we would keep praying. Lord, that we would bring brothers and sisters into, uh, into the mix, Lord, and, and seek out godly counsel and wisdom and what decision to make next. Lord, I know I've gotten myself in a lot of trouble by being, um, Lord, hasty and, and jumping into where I think next is, Lord, and, and I'm grateful that even in that, even in our mistakes, Lord, that you, Lord, you don't give up on us, and uh, Lord, we can, we can learn from those mistakes, and, and we, can, we can continue moving on. So I, I just pray for us as a church, Lord, that we, uh, we're hearing your voice, that we're following your lead, we're submitted to you, Jesus, and that... Um, Man, Lord, that we're just trusting you. As individuals, as a church body, Lord, we're just trusting you. So thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins, Lord. Thank you for raising from the grave. Lord, thank you for making salvation really just the easiest thing in the world. It's a free gift, and all we got to do is accept it. All we have to do is receive it. And it's never, it's never been Jesus plus this. It's always just been you, Jesus. And so I pray for, pray for anybody in the room, Lord, if, if they just need to surrender to you, that they would just, man, they would just surrender and say, Lord, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave. And I believe you have a plan for me. And I want to follow you. It's amazing that it's that simple, Lord. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. So I would also want to pray for anybody in this room who's feeling discouraged. Lord, I pray that you would come alongside them, you would encourage, you would strengthen them. Lord Jesus, help them to keep their eyes fixed on you. And Lord, that you would keep them at perfect peace because their eyes are fixed on you. So thank you so much, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for loving us and caring about us. Thank you for everybody that's here this morning. Pray for safety and, and health and protection as we go from this place, Lord, as we gather in this place, Lord. We pray that you keep all viruses and everything 
We just pray that that thing would go away. Lord, or our medical community or our scientific community can come up with some really good solutions, Lord, but Lord, thank you for smart people and beautiful brains and all that stuff, Lord, but ultimately, Lord, we pray that this problem would no longer be a problem. And we pray that, man, as a result, that churches all over, I pray that churches all over would be packed out. Lord, so, but we trust you with that, Lord. We don't know. We just trust you. So I do pray for everybody here, Lord, that you would just be with us all and whatever you have for us this week, Lord. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.